Section 16 of Revelations of a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. Revelations of a Wife by Adele Garrison. Chapter 16 Interrupted Sightseeing. Margaret! My mother in law's tone was almost tragic. Richard has gone off with my trunk checks. Why, of course he has, I returned, wondering a little at her anxious tone. I suppose he expects to give them to an expressman and have the trunks brought up this morning. Richard never remembered anything in his life, said his mother tartly. Those trunks ought to be here before I leave for the day. Oh, I don't think it would be possible for them to arrive here before we have to start, even if Dicky gives them to the expressman right away, as I am sure he will do. It seemed queer to be defending Dicky to his mother, but I felt a curious little thrill of resentment that she should criticize him. I sometimes may judge Dicky harshly myself, but I don't care to hear criticism of him from any other lips even those of his mother. Richard will carry those checks in his pocket until he comes home again, if he is lucky enough not to lose them, said his mother decidedly. I wish you would telephone him at his studio and remind him that they must be looked after. Obediently I went to the telephone. I knew Dicky had had plenty of time to get to the studio, as it was but a short walk from our apartment. Madison Square 3694, I said, in answer to Central's request for number. When the answer came, I almost dropped the receiver in my surprise. It was not Dickie's voice that came to my ears, but that of a stranger, a woman's voice, rich and musical. Yes, with the rising inflection. This is Mr. Graham's studio. He has not yet reached here. What message shall I give him, please, when he comes in? Please ask him to call up his home. Then I hung up the receiver and turned from the telephone, putting down my agitation with a firm hand until I could be alone. Dicky has not yet reached the studio, I said to his mother calmly. I think very probably he has gone first to see an expressman about your trunks. If you will pardon me, I have a few things to attend to before we start on our trip. Is there anything I can do for you? No, thank you. Mrs. Graham's tone was still the cold, courteous one that she used in addressing me. I suppose I can ring for Katie when I am ready to have my dress fastened. Oh, by all means, I returned. I thought bitterly of the little services I used to perform for my own mother. How gladly I would anticipate the wants of Dicky's mother if she would only show me affection instead of the ill-concealed aversion with which she regarded me. My mother-in-law went into her room, and I, walking swiftly to mine, closed and locked the door behind me. I threw myself face downward on the bed, my favorite posture when I wished to think things out. The voice of the woman at the studio haunted me. It was strange but familiar, and I could not remember where I had heard it. What was a woman doing in Dicky's studio at this time in the morning, anyway? 
I knew that Dicky employed feminine models, but I also knew that he always made it a point to be at the studio before the model was due to arrive. I suppose I am an awful crank, he had laughed once, but no models rummaging among my things for mine. I knew that Dicky employed no secretary, or at least he had told me that he did not. I had heard him laughingly promise himself that when his income reached ten thousand dollars a year he would hire one. All at once the solution to the mystery dawned upon me. The rich musical voice belonged to Grace Draper, the beautiful girl whom Dicky had seen first on a train on our memorable trip to Marvin. Why hadn't Dicky told me that she was at the studio? The question rankled in the back of my brain. That was not my main concern, however. What swept me with a sudden primitive emotion, which I know must be jealousy, was the picture of that beautiful face, that wonderful figure in daily close companionship with my husband. Suppose she should fall in love with Dicky. To my mind, I did not see how any woman could help it. Would she have any scruples about endeavoring to win Dicky's love from me? My common sense told me that this was the veriest nonsense, but I could no more help my feelings than I could control the shape of my nose. The ring of the telephone bell put a temporary end to my speculations. I pulled myself together in order to talk calmly to Dicky, for I knew it must be he who was calling. "'Madge, is this you? Whatever has happened?' "'Nothing is the matter,' I said quickly. "'But you have your mother's trunk checks, and she is anxious about them.' "'By Jove!' Dicky's voice was full of consternation. "'I forgot everything about those trunk checks until this minute. "'I should have attended to them yesterday, but—' "'He hesitated, then finished lamely. "'I didn't have time.' I felt my face flush as though Dicky could see me. The reason why he did not have time to see to his mother's trunks on the day of her arrival touched a subject any allusion to which would always bring a flush to my face. I was still too shaken with the varying emotions I had experienced the day before to bear well any reference to them, no matter how casual. Fortunately, Dicky was too much taken up with his own remissness to notice my silence. "'I'll go out this minute and attend to them,' he said. "'Try to keep the mater's mind diverted from them if you can. Better get her away on your sightseeing trip as soon as possible.' Having thus shifted his responsibilities to my shoulders, Dicky blithely hung up the receiver. I turned to his mother. "'Well?' she demanded. He is going out now to attend to the trunks, I said. There! I knew he had forgotten them, she exclaimed, with a little malicious feminine triumph running through her tones. When will they be here? I repeated Dicky's words in as matter-of-fact way as possible. Probably not until two or three o'clock in the afternoon. We might as well start on our trip. Katie is perfectly capable of attending to them. Then she said, How soon will you be ready? I am afraid it will be half an hour before I can start, I said apologetically. That will be all right, my mother-in-law returned good-humoredly. 
she was evidently much pleased at the prospect of the trip it's wonderful wonderful she said as the full view of new york harbor burst upon our eyes when we came out of the subway and rounded the barge office into battery park wait a moment i want to fill my soul with it i felt my heart warm toward her i have always loved the harbor many treasured hours have i spent watching it from the sea wall or from the deck of one of the staten island ferries to me it is like a loved friend i enjoy hearing its praises i shrink from hearing it criticized mrs graham's hearty admiration made me feel more kindly toward her than i had yet done neither of us spoke again for several minutes my gaze followed my mother-in-law's as she turned from one marvel of the view to another at last she turned to me her face softened i am ready to go on now she said i have always loved the remembrance of this harbor since i first saw it years ago we walked slowly on toward the aquarium both of us watching the ships as they came into the bay from the north river the fussy sputtering little tugs the heavily laden ferries the lazy fishing boats the dredges and scows even the least of them was made beautiful by its setting of clear winter sun and sparkling water how few large ocean steamers there seem to be commented my mother-in-law as a large ocean-going vessel cast off its tug and glided past us on its way out to sea i suppose it is on account of the war she continued indifferently at this moment i heard a comment from a passing man that brought back to me the misery of the day before i guess that's the saturn he said to his companion as they walked near us she was due to sail this morning got a lot of french reservists on board poor devils anybody getting into that hell over there has about one chance in a million to get out again forgetful of my mother-in-law's presence indeed of everything else in the world i turned and gazed at the steamer making its way out to sea i knew that somewhere on its deck stood jack my brother cousin the best friend my mother and i had ever known when he had come back from a year's absence to ask me to be his wife he had found that i had married dicky then he had announced his intention of joining the french engineering corps what had that man said just now not one chance in a million i felt as if it were my hand that was pushing him across the ocean to almost certain death when i could no longer see the saturn as she churned her way out to sea i turned around quickly with a sense of guilt at having ignored my mother-in-law's presence and then a voice sounded in my ear you don't seem delighted to see me i am surprised at you harry underwood towered above me his handsome face marred by the little leering smile he generally wears his bold laughing eyes staring down into my horrified ones i do not believe that ever a woman of a more superstitious time dreaded the evil eye as i do the glance of harry underwood 
how to answer him or what to do i did not know he evidently had been drinking enough to make himself irresponsible he did not give me time to ponder long however who is your lady friend he burlesqued introduce me a man less audacious than harry underwood would have been daunted by the picture my mother-in-law presented as he turned toward her her figure was drawn up to its extreme height and she was surveying him through her lorgnette with an expression that held disgust mingled with the curiosity an explorer might feel at meeting some strange specimen of animal in his travels mrs graham this is mr underwood i managed to stammer mr underwood mrs graham dicky's mother my mother-in-law may overawe ordinary people but harry underwood minded her disdain no more than he would have the contempt of a stately plymouth rock hen she had lowered the lorgnette as i spoke and he grabbed the hand which still held it shaking it as warmly as if it belonged to some long-lost friend well well he said effusively but this is great dear old dicky's mother he stopped and fixed a speculating stare upon her you mean his sister he said reprovingly to me don't tell me you mean his mother no no i can't believe that he shook his head solemnly evidently he was much impressed with himself if i had not been so miserable i could have smiled at the idea of harry underwood trying on the elder mrs graham the silly specious flatteries he addressed to most women my mother-in-law did not deign to answer him her manner was superb in its haughty reserve although i could not say much for her courtesy as he released her hand she let it drop quietly to her side and stood still gazing at him with a quiet disdainful look that would have made almost any other man wince but it did not bother harry underwood in the least he gave her a shrewd appraising look and then turned to me with an air of dismissal that was as complete as her ignoring of him say he demanded aren't you a bit curious about what brought me down here you ought to be the funniest thing in the world my being down here his silly repetitions his slurred enunciation his slightly unsteady figure made me realize with a quick horror that the man was more intoxicated than i supposed how to get away from him as quickly as possible was the problem i faced i decided to humor him as i would any other insane person i dreaded i am never curious i responded lightly i suppose of course that you are here to visit the aquarium as we are good-bye no you don't going to take you and little lady here on nice ferry trip he announced genially sorry yacht's out of commission this morning but ferry will do very well i have not much reason to like my mother-in-law but i shall always be grateful to her for the way she cut the gordian knot of my difficulties young man you are impertinent and intoxicated she said haughtily please step aside 
and taking me firmly by the arm, my mother-in-law walked steadily with me toward the door of the women's restroom. Her manner of conducting me was much the same as the matron of a reformatory would use in taking a charge from one place to another, but I was too relieved to care. The leering face of Harry Underwood was no longer before my eyes, and his befuddled words no longer jarred upon my ears. Those were the only things that mattered to me for the moment. In my relief, I felt strong enough to brave the weight of my mother-in-law's anger, which I was very sure was about to descend upon me. End of chapter 16